to Gravedigger Radio. This is your host, Zach, hanging out in the studio with Jason and Mike. Guys, we are super excited to bring you this series. It's something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Today, we're going to be starting our multi-part series on the Satanic Panic. Especially, you know, coming off the excitement of Stranger Things Season 4, where that was featured very prominently, whether people realized it or not. It seemed like now was the perfect time to kind of dig into this and, and bring it to you, our dear listeners. Okay, before we get going, I did have one announcement. I want to invite all of our listeners, especially those local to the central Kentucky area, to the Wild Weird World of Word Film Festival 2022. I know, first go. During the month of October, um, the University of Kentucky uh, Department of Writing, Rhetoric, and Digital Studies is going to be hosting a series of horror movies, and it's open to the public, starts at 7 p.m. The first show is October 10th. And they're going to be showing the movie It Follows from 2014. The next showing is October 17th. And they're going to be showing The Thing, the original classic from 1982. And the last night is Halloween night itself, October 31st, with the film Trick or Treat from 2007, which is like an anthology about um, stories that go down on Halloween night. All of these, I consider free, open to the public at the University of Kentucky Student Center. Just head on over to the uh, the theater, 7 o'clock. Um, these will be presented by Dr. Tom Marksberry, who teaches a class in the rhetoric of horror films. So um, after the film, he's going to sit and uh, talk to us about half an hour or so, explain why he chose these films as a, as a good example of the horror genre in general, and then also field any questions you have, a little brief Q&A session. So be sure to attend with us. Um, we'll all be there. Sounds like a great time. And Dr. Marksberry, he's been on the podcast before and will be again. Super cool guy, and he knows a crap ton about horror movies. He needs to write a book. So be sure to come out, check that out, hang out with us. We'll definitely be there, and stop by, say hi, and watch a movie with us. Slap Zach on his fanny. <laughs> that's a wow. That's for, actually a privilege. Free free for, admittance if you slap Zach on his fanny. Uh, that's actually only for our top tier Patreon supporters. <laughs> hey, I'm the only Patreon supporter we got. <laughs> we have two. Thank you very much. <laughs> Both of y'all. Slapping yourself on your fanny then. <laughs> so Jason, what what do you have for us today, man? Okay, um, to start off the topic about the satanic panic, I wanted to, um, again, you mentioned Stranger Things, so um, I wanted to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. So imagine, if you will, you descend a set of ancient stairs into an old cavern. The creaky wooden door pushes open in front of you. As you enter the fog-covered room, You see a dirty, angry goblin who brandishes his rusty short sword at you. What do you do? Well, um, depends on the time period we're talking here. (laughs) Because if we're talking nowadays, um, we're probably going to get some people together and have some scheduling conflicts to figure out when we can fight this goblin. But if we're talking the 70s and 80s, man, uh, we're going to bust out torches and pitchforks and uh, get ready to burn the nerds. Yeah, um, the Satanic Panic uh, roughly refers to a, a period during the 1970s, 1980s, for anybody who's old enough to remember, when especially the more fundamentalist types got really upset about some social trends that they saw going on in America, 
And one of the scapegoats they came up with was this cult game, and it was at the time, especially Dungeons and Dragons. So you guys, you know, definitely predate me by quite a bit. Uh, I didn't get into D and D until three point five, but you guys were were there for <laughs> three point five. That was like the worst edition ever. Um, <laughs> but you know, you guys were there for kind of the founding of D and D. The uh, what was it was it the red box, the blue box? What was it's it? called chainmail. Okay. <laughs> yeah. At first, it was like a like a combat game, like a Warhammer type of like mass battle game. That was my first. Tell tell me about it, there, Grandfather Mike. <laughs> yeah, it's embarrassing. Um, I'm I'm a first grader. My uncle gets me into this. He's like, have you ever seen this game called Chainmail? And I was like, no. And uh, it, it, I was hooked from the very first five minutes. And here I sit today in my 50s. And So what is it, was it anything like modern D&D it, it, in any so way? So Chainmail was not like D&D. Uh, it, was, it was a fantasy game in which basically armies fought each other on a tabletop with lead figures. And, of course, I was in love with all the lead figures that he brought to me. <laughs> the poisonous lead <laughs> right, figures. Right, exactly. How, how many of those lead figures did you eat? So, um, <laughs> I chewed on a few. I chewed, melted melted a few of them down. Yeah, my uncle shows up with like 150, 200 of them that he had collected from. And he was, a, he was, a, uh, he was an art teacher in Franklin County for 30 years. And his art students were into it. They got him into it. And then he got me into it. Well, and here we are. We still play with plastic crack guys. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, these games are very addicting. I mean, I, I love them all. I, all th of us here at Gravedigger Radio are huge Dungeons and Dragons fans. Well, anyway, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, as we know it now, it came out the year that I came out 1974. And, and at the time it had a very small, like I said, kind of cult type following primarily consisting of, adolescent males and incels like me. The game was kind of obscure and little known, mostly, you know, in the, like the Midwest region of the United States, until a strange case involving a Michigan State University student who went missing in 1979 kind of brought it into the spotlight. So we're talking about the case of James Dallas Egbert. I, I hate to, I hate, I will, we don't I ever victim blame I know. here at Gravedigger Radio, but that 100% sounds like the name of somebody who would play D&D. Yeah, that's a great old Anglo-Saxon name, I'll have you on. Egbert. Yeah. Egbert. Very fitting for D&D. Anyway, so he went missing, and this private investigator was called in to figure out what had happened to him. Egbert was kind of a, kind of a child prodigy. Um, by the age of 16, he was already in his sophomore year at Michigan State when he went missing. Now, he was eventually located alive and well by William Deere, who was the, the private detective who was called in. And he ended up writing a novel called The Dungeon Master. Oh, wait a minute. Is it, didn't that inspire Mazes and Monsters with Tom Hanks? Yes. Ah, okay. Rona Jaffe totally <clears throat> stole that story, okay. fictionalized it, and then that was like Tom Hanks' big first big that starring was, that role. That was Tom's first big role. Yeah. Never real, even real heard role. of this movie. Huh? Never even heard of this movie. There's yeah, a, Mazes there and Monsters. There's a few reasons. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ham-fisted and awful, but... Uh, <laughs> Not great. You know. So Egbert and his nerdy friends, they'd be kind of like acting out their D&D sessions in a series of underground steam tunnels that ran beneath the university's campus. Now, unfortunately, Egbert, I mean, he had some issues. He was a troubled youth. And a couple of years later, he did end up committing suicide in 1980, which just added, you know, gasoline on the fire of this kind of witch hunt that focused in on Dungeons and Dragons. Deer kind of played this up. And he, you know, after this, his career kind of became writing novels and at least stories publishing books about the weird, occult, paranormal stuff. And, you know, some people kind of blame him for sensationalizing this case of this unfortunate kid who was brilliant but had issues and um, kind of used it for his own profit. And the whole targeting of D&D &D as, 
you know, this entry drug, if you will, into the occult, into other greater issues. It's kind of a confusion between causality and correlation. Yeah, you could make the argument, and a lot of groups did, they, they kind of wanted to, to place the blame on the game for getting their kids into these social ills, especially if there's any kind of trouble, any kind of violent incidents, or, you know, God forbid, suicide. And um, they would kind of take the few cases where those kids were also D&D players to say that, oh, D&D is the root of it, when it's really not. And as Anonymous Mike pitched in, like the big movie release in 1982, Mazes and Monsters, based on the Rona Jaffe novel, sensationalized and fictionalized the um, Egbert case that kind of really got the ball rolling. Well, and like you said, I mean, this guy pretty much made a a living off of this case. Yeah. He would travel around and talk about this. He kind of pitched himself as, as a bit of a profiler in a sense to where he could find these uh, cult activities. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like he was a cult hunter in yeah. a sense. It's kind of how he pitched himself and built himself. And I mean, this guy ends up, if you dig into him, and we won't really dig into him too much for this series, but he's kind of a shit. Just overall, I mean... He saw his moment and he took it. Right, so. I mean, he he ran with it hardcore, but he really, he made his money off of basically victimizing nerds and then the unfortunate suicide of this one kid. Yeah, um, and you know, that passed from the late 70s, early 80s, still kind of follows the game to this day. Um, it's kind of funny, though, when all that controversy was kicking off, you know, at the time, D&D was published by a company called TSR out of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And it was kind of an underground game, but their sales quadrupled. <laughs> Once this story got out, all the kids were like, oh, I want to play this like a cult game that leads me down a dark path of Satan maybe that was his and- Maybe that was his angle. He was an investor in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, now with the popularization from Stranger Things, D&D is huge and it's not a nerdy thing anymore. You've got like mainstream actors and stuff that are into it and they've got live shows and, and everything else, and their, their sales have skyrocketed. And it also coincides with the releases of a, of a Stranger Things series. Like, every time a new season comes out, sales spike again because people are re- reintroduced yet again. And I don't know if it's the nostalgia or the new discovery of the game, but they kind of feed each other to this, you know, critical point right now where it's like this hugely popular game. But it hasn't always, it still haven't outlived kind of a sketchy past that it didn't warrant at the time. You know, again, some of those more fundamentalist types still play on that. I think we talked previously about Jack Chick, who's like this kind of hat comic artist who writes these little things called Chick Tracks. And they're very fundamentalist opinions on everything you can imagine. Not only D&D, but, you know, Halloween or anything that's the least little hint of occult activity or darkness about it. He produces these little comics and they're just like these little flip books, black and white flip books. And it, it's some of the worst, just most inane shit. It's so ham. You've ever seen and lazy and yeah. What does everything lead to? Six six six, the mark of the beast, and at the end of it, and <laughs> pretty much, pretty okay. much for the D and D one. Isn't it some girl? She uh, Debbie. She, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you know Debbie. the exact names. <laughs> oh no, I mean I remember the, this one because I thought it was hilarious. She she's given her life over to Satan by following the dungeon master it's, and like it tore her life apart until she found Jesus. And was saved! And and got her shit together, yeah. And and a funny story, kind of as an aside, you know, one of the... God, I'm such a nerd. One of the game stores we kind of, like, patronize here in town is called the Battle Forge. And the reason I discovered Chick Tracks a couple years ago is because the manager, Tim, he gave me one. He's like, check it out, man. Somebody came into the store, and I laid these all around the place. And he gave me one. I'm like, what the hell is this? And it was this one. 
like they were going to use chick tracks to like consecrate the the gaming store and and yeah, bless it they'd like snuck them in like the stacks of books and stuff to be discovered by you know an unwitting customer like me who would have like oh my goodness i shouldn't be into this stuff because Jesus is watching me. So so basically this person thought they were going to come in and be like the, the savior of the souls of yeah. the gamers yeah. by, by showing them the path of righteousness. And I'm like, man, that's hilarious. Can I have it? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to throw in the trash. Of course you can have <laughs> I it. I took it with me. I maybe the question, the, the broader question for the podcast episode is like this crusade against Dungeons and Dragons and the, also the whole satanic panic movement back in the 70s and 80s. Like I want to think of it in terms of we can debate whether it was like some form of mass hysteria, or also maybe a conspiracy theory. Author David Aronovich, he roughly defines it as a conspiracy theory as a grand scheme to overthrow a government or to manipulate the masses, but instead has the, mis- has the mistaken assumption that the event happened for certain reasons and was guided by a powerful entity instead of by pure coincidence. Oh, I've seen these before. I had a, my next door neighbor's father was real, or a super fundamentalist. He just got the download. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just caught up again. Once again, I've caught up. He had these pamphlets in his house. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. Now. They're yeah. these little tiny flip books. Yeah. 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 I, it's I, all black and white art. And actually, art's kind of nice in them some. Yeah, and, I mean, it's okay, but yeah. it's just. We, we've got to update cre- the They're all creepy as hell. We've got to update Mike's operating system. He is <laughs> lagging well behind. I have to research before but, I can comment. But yeah, the, the tick tracks there, I mean, they're just kind of terrible. I don't know terrible. what those were called. Yeah, I'm surprised you've not really uh-uh. seen them. I mean, you, you've seen them before, but didn't know. I mean, now I realize what you I'll guys are I'll have some about. sent to your house. Okay. Oh, we'll sign you up for the mail. And they will never, will show up they will never stop coming once you order one. Trust <laughs> oh, me. <boy. laughs> oh, no. So, so back to the conspiracy side of things. Like, yeah. Were people actually saying that there was a, a Dungeons and Dragons conspiracy theory? That Wait, was, there's not? It was the whole satanic panic thing, because it involved more than Dungeons and Dragons, right? And we'll get into that. I'm, I'm trying to like put this in terms we can, like big terms we can wrestle with. David Aronovich in his book Voodoo Histories says that a conspiracy theory is the unnecessary assumption of a conspiracy where other explanations are more probable. For example, which is more likely, did we actually get to the moon in 1969? Or were thousands of people enlisted in this grand fabrication to make us believe so? Right. Okay. Like, well, and they've all this- they've all remained. I mean, that, that right. was fantastic how they pulled that off. Right. Right. Yeah. Every, everybody that was involved has kept quiet all these years and took the secrets to their grave. So, so what is he saying about that in terms of of the Dungeons and Dragons with the Satanic Panic? Well, that people are taking this big leap to believe that this role play game, which is there's nothing evil about it was the cause of these kids getting into trouble or some of the suicides that were involved or some of the violence that some of these kids did. It's like, no, there's just a coincidence there. Uh, okay. There's not this big thing going on that you think there is. It's just some of these kids had problems. I, I think people are very quick to want to find something to place blame on besides their own poor parenting mm-hmm. and their, their ineptitude as parents. That's what I always do. Right. I mean, look at the... Uh, like the violent video games kind of stuff. That's, saying that, that's a huge part of it, too. Yeah. Saying that video games caused all these violent acts and right. and caused kids to be killers and all this stuff. No, people are just shits. <laughs> and so were kids. Some of them. Especially. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I think I think what was going on then with the satanic panic is there was this new hot, trendy, kind of weird thing that the, the weird kids were into. And, well, clearly, if, if my kid has fallen in with that, they've fallen in with a bad crowd. Right. And so they they want something to explain away their kids' behavior. 
And it really kind of starts off with the private eye, William Deere, because when he went up to Michigan State and started investigating the disappearance, he goes into the kid's dorm room and he finds a D&D book. Well, there's your answer. Right. The first thing he saw that <laughs> right. was kind of strange was like, <laughs> oh. So Clearly, he's run away for this. Anything else going on? Or nope. So it's nope. going to appear to be satanic to somebody like this. I mean, anything outside yeah. of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is going to be a temptation of the flesh, and thus Satan. Right. Yeah. Didn't didn't the original books have like demons and dragons and stuff on them too? Anyway? Well, they do now. Oh, they did. Yeah. But they, but they took it away for a while in some of the later editions as a reaction to this. Oh, really? So they actually edited their own cover yeah. art away from being anything that could be yeah. misconstrued. If I mean, some of the like late second, third, early third edition stuff, they don't have demans and devils. What, they just have Bob Ross paintings on or something? Well, they they just gave them a different name. Oh, okay. Just kind of altered the cover art to be a little less... uh, Yeah. I hate the term triggering, but I don't know a better (laughs) word for it than that, actually. So the other way you might try to understand this is in terms of some kind of like mass social hysteria that was going on in the 70s and 80s. And mass hysteria is defined... Uh, the, the traits are that people typically believe something specific has triggered, triggered their symptoms, like I was saying. Like, you find the D&D book, it has a cult language in it, so, you know, there you go. Um, there's no underlying health condition present, so this must be the answer. People start behaving in a way that isn't normal unto them, nor, as far as you know. And then they have, like, a, people will uh, believe that there's, they, they, they take on, they have this extreme fear or an ag- exaggeration, exaggerated, like, belief in some non-existent threat. And those things are like the hallmarks of what we would call a mass hysteria. And, you know, if you want to think of something like the Salem Witch Trials is a great example of that. You know, there, there's something specific that's gone on. There's witches active in the community. There's no health conditions that they know of. People are behaving in a weird way that they don't, wouldn't normally behave. There is some kind of physical convulsion or some kind of behavior. And it's, it triggers like this extreme fear as a reaction to it. And then it just gets out of hand from there. I think with this... And everything else that we'll talk about in the Satanic Panic series. I think it was a matter of a couple firebrands out there stoking the flames. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's just kind of been whipped into a frenzy on this inferno. Yeah. And, and I think it's, oh, it's definitely mass hysteria. Everything we're going to talk about is mass hysteria. You know, because I'm the history nerd on, on the podcast, I always like to point out that, you know, before everybody's like, oh, that's so ridiculous. And, you know, with our modern eyes and our scientific ears and everything, how could such a thing possibly happen? But then I'm like, hey, you know what? Look at our, the extremes of our political parties today, because they believe some weird. Th- <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the whole QAnon crap and all that like, and everything. To the end of their being, they believe in some weird crap, and they see it all over the internet. They see it every behind every rock and tree, you know. So don't think you're superior to these people, even from 40, 50 years ago, because we do the same thing. It's just part of our human psychology, I think. I, I do kind of wonder too, with some of the stuff, how much people want there to be. And yeah. evil in the world, because if there if there is a, a physical manifestation of the devil out mm-hmm. there, especially at this time period, it will just validates all their beliefs. Now, they're not just some kind of you know religious figure going off and espousing things. They're they're a warrior for God right there on the front line fighting against nerds with dice. Some of the themes that come out when you study the rhetoric that was kind of thrown around during the Dungeons and Dragons part of the satanic panic. You see these words kind of always coming forth in the narrative, and I've got a list of them here. Magic, Satanism, Pagan, Paganism, Real, Game Becoming Reality, Spiritual Warfare, Suicide, Murder, Occult, Jesus is the Answer, Teens, Young Boys, Influential, Vulnerable, Obsession, Belief, Violence, Rituals, Summoning, Changes in Behavior, Characters, Alcohol Abuse, Drinking, Sex, Drugs, Sacrifices, Evil, horror movies, witchcraft, demonism, spells, 
Satan, mind-changing, mind-altering, and spiritual forces. Whoa, wait a minute. We, wait, we, we're talking about D&D, &D, not the political parties. <laughs> so is this like... I thought we were like, talking about this podcast. Oh, okay, 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 I had to catch up. Okay. Is this like the big, like, word cloud kind yes, of thing? Of the like, word cloud of the satanic panic as concerns D&D &D <laughs> was what I just uttered. Okay. Lord rest my soul. Beg for forgiveness on Sunday. Sounds like a pretty good game to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the most part. <laughs> so it, when you think about these phrases, you know, take them into consideration. It's uh, easy to understand... The paranoia was out there, and the parents were dealing with this, and this was the rhetoric that was going on, and this young, impressionable generation of kids growing up in the 80s or whatever. So to them, the adults, you know, this, this danger was real and ever-present. And if you want to break it down to, like, three pillars of understanding, you've got occult indoctrination. This was like the gateway drug to deeper, darker magic. Changes in behavior, so it somehow kind of, like, changed their base psychology where they were capable of doing things outside their norm, and then violence, learned violence, like the game taught them how to become violent people who would do harm to others. To really get an idea of, of the impact that cults had at this time and why there's so much fear of cults, two of the really big things that still are you know talked about in, in modern contemporary culture today, one is the Sharon Tate murders by the Manson family, yeah, the Manson family cult. That murder and, and that bunch really kind of threw the idea of cults and cult activity associated with crime into the mainstream, and it really thrust it into the public eye. The other thing you had going on at the same time was Jonestown. You know, for the first time really in history, a lot of people were seeing how everyday normal people could be indoctrinated into what ended up becoming a death cult. That's where we get the term drink the Kool-Aid comes from. Yeah, which they drink Flavor-Aid. It was... Kool-Aid was never used. Oh, like, Kool-Aid should sue their ass. Right. I don't know who they'd sue, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> There's nobody left. Because they're all dead, but... <laughs> But yeah, no, they drink Flavor-Aid. They actually never drink Kool-Aid. Well, that was like the off-market bullshit. It had to be like the Kroger brand version. That was, that was no Mountain Berry Punch. If, could you imagine the uh, the last drink you ever drank <laughs> was like Dr. Thunder or something like that? The, the super <laughs> off-brand Kroger Kmart version. Big K. Right, some Big K. They they wouldn't even go for like the, the name brand stuff to put their poison in. And, and that just seems wrong. They were looking to save money. So I'll pose it to the, the two of you. You've all played D&D &D at some point in your youth. You've been introduced to this game. So did you suffer from any occult indoctrination, changes in behavior, or learned violence as a result of it? I feel like, generally speaking, we can't get a game scheduled frequently enough for mm -hmm. it to be a cult. Like, I feel like we may have to meet a little more often for it to be a cult-like behavior to set in and really take. Well, we still own all of our assets, too. Yeah, we, we've not had to get rid of anything uh, or stand naked in a circle while everyone yells at us. <laughs> so so I think so far we're doing pretty good. You don't know what I've got planned for after we're done recording tonight. This is very true. That's actually uh, the ritual for how we wrap up uh, a <laughs> Gravedigger Radio episode. Wait, why haven't you guys told me anything about this? Well, you're a latecomer to the party. We don't know if we can bring you into the fold or not yet. Or you're, I'm the sacrifice. You're only level three. Oh, yeah. Progressed far enough. Wasn't that the other thing? I know, I know we keep going back to the chick tracks. But wasn't that the other thing, too, was that, like... They, she had to level up in the cult as well. That was the yeah, whole... Yeah, once like, her character was a certain level, then she could be shown the real magic. Oh, yeah, and they were going to show her like how to summon demons and all that crap. That's yeah. starting to sound like another religion that I've heard about. That sounds like every religion, Mike, <laughs> once you reach a certain point. I know we're kind of joking around and taking the piss and everything, but I remember being a kid growing up over in Winchester, Kentucky, 
And I don't know if I was probably, I don't know, junior high age or something. And story came out in the local paper of like some kind of satanic ritual going on at this church out in the country. And, you know, people should beware and blah, blah, blah. Was this the same like Kentucky area where they were talking about like there's Satanists in the woods eating babies and crap? Could be. The story was that remains or, or organs were found on the stream bed by this old church and which was like quarter mile from my house. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I would go there to play and catch crawdads and stuff. It was a um, historical like African-American church. It was like one of the, few, the earliest churches in this part of the state. And just over time, you know, the community had moved more towards my neighborhood and had been taken over by an African-American church. And I mean, it was pretty small, you know, a dozen people top. Just they had had a cookout and um, they like kind of there on the on the creek bed like a little barbecue and just like cooked a pig or something and like left some of the stuff laying around and that somehow and, suddenly became and, the remains of a satanic ritual and, and some weirdo went down there and saw like pig innards or whatever and reported to the cops and they investigated and it's like no they're just having a barbecue for crying out loud but the first place their minds went was satanic ritual in Clark County human remains. So had there been stories of like satanic stuff before this event, before the cookout or was this cookout and the pig remains kind of the, the uh, catalyzing event for the satanic concern? I think just in the larger context in the country at the time, they saw something like this bizarre ritual where there was burning and animal parts left behind. And it became like the story. And I was like, I don't think so. I go down there like every other weekend and like play in the creek and catch minnows and stuff. Because that's what I, I really Everybody down about. there was hell and ice, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was the other thing I was really curious about because I know that you guys kind of, you know, grew up during this time period. What uh, did y'all ever experience anything with like D&D and the satanic panic like firsthand? I mean, I didn't. I take my entire experience as a huge positive in my life. Yeah. Forced me to learn about history and mythology, and I gained so much real knowledge from playing the game just through through osmosis. You know, you learn about all the Norse gods and, you know, so much history that's very accurate. It's only math I was interested in doing. And <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but did you guys have any, like, firsthand encounters of people being like, you're going to hell for playing that D&D game? Like the, you know, the, the persecution side of things for being into the... D&D nerd stuff. No, I mean, my, my parents bought me some of the books and stuff. And they didn't think anything of it. I can't I can't think of a single incident. So do you think it's kind of like just about everything with with history, especially in the American lexicon, to where these things get a lot of legend kind of added on to sensationalism? Do you think mm -hmm. so? Do you think maybe the whole D&D satanic panic thing may be a little bit sensationalized? I mean, that's our nature. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if, if somebody was profiting from it. You know, I for for me and my research, I always follow the money. Of course, yeah. And, and you get a lot of answers. And that's and that's what I was curious about. You know, because I, you know, that was all well before my time. But then you see media like Stranger Things kind of buying into the sensationalized satanic panic D and D stuff with the the character Eddie to where he's almost like he's a caricature in a sense of uh, Damien Eccles from the West of the West Memphis 3 that we'll talk about mm. further on down the road with the series but I feel like a lot of that stuff also makes it seem like there were these small towns that were putting together lynch mobs in a sense for uh people that were a little bit weird and into D&D &D and into the this the kind of strange <laughs> no pun intended the stranger stuff the stranger things yeah but I think it's kind of a coincidence that some of the you know marginalized kids that weren't the jocks or whatever were you know interested in this stuff and maybe some more creative types or intellectual types that weren't you know on the football team and stuff that they gravitated towards it and 
I don't know. It became a kind of a stereotype, I guess. And see, it was the opposite for me because I I played D and D with basketball and football players. Really? Yeah. And and what time period are we talking here, Mike? Uh, I graduated high school in '88, so from the time from '84 to '88, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't. Maybe I was a little bit of a different kid. I didn't really hang out with a certain group. That's been established. Yeah, I would definitely. <laughs> we have. You no know, I didn't. I didn't hang out with any particular group. I kind of hung out with everybody and. Uh, but no, we had kind of a Duke's mixture playing in several different groups. Through a bit of a unifying thing, like it is nowadays. I mean, you know, you always you always have the folks that are like, "I've never played that game. That game's stupid," and then they play it once, and then the, and then they're into it. And then like, it's oh, this all is awesome. over. What about you, Jason? Any any uh, satanic panic D and D experiences as, as a youth? No, I mean, um, you know, there's always the one kid down the street that has all the stuff, you know, maybe the rich kid. or and That was you. But that was not me. <laughs> um, but I went to his house and played a couple of times. I was like, oh, this is way cool. And I got a couple of the books and everything. And, you know, we're not that far removed. I mean, look at all the crap that the Harry Potter books got when they came out about being occult behavior and an and, and entryway. Into no, they're not well enough written for that. Well, that's true. But, um, you know, that, that kind of theme never really goes away. Yeah, and that's and that's what I've wondered if it's kind of the the effect of it being the hot new thing that people kind of gravitated to, and it was it was cool and it was trendy and it was weird and stuff like that's always going to get a fair amount of pushback. But I feel like maybe just the passage of time has made the pushback seem like it was a lot harder than it ever actually was for that time period. So maybe it does resurrect. We get newer things like uh, do you guys remember Slender Man? Yeah, we'll we'll that'll be down the road, but we'll definitely dig into Slender Man and the the attacks and all that stuff with that. But where where are you going with that, Mike? Yeah, I just think it's reciprocal, you know, it, it, or cyclical, you know, in the fact that they always society's always going to latch on to the next newest threat. And being a military study guy, that it that is absolutely true. That that everybody wants to kind of rally around an outside new there different ha- thing. has to be a threat on and the outside. Part of the mass hysteria, you know, idea is you know these things kind of pop up at times when there's a lot of crap going on that a culture or society is dealing with. You know, in the 70s, 80s, we had the Cold War and, you know, doing our nuclear missile drills and everything and all that. So there was a lot of crap going on that created a lot of anxiety, you know, culture-wide, society-wide. Were you old enough for that, Jason? Yeah. Get in the hallway and hunker down? Oh, yeah. You know, tornado drills, nuclear drills? Yeah. And so, you know, those are the times when things like this kind of pop up and you see this irrational behavior. It's almost like a displacement of a, of a greater anxiety onto something particular. Well, guys, I don't think we really set out to make this the uh, the Satanic Panic D&D episode, but it's in a, probably going to be actually two parts focused on this. I know we're all a bunch of D&D nerds and, and really invest in this and have a, a lot of opinions on it. So tune in next episode for when we dig a little bit deeper into some of the actual social ramifications and some of the legal cases that went on with the D&D Satanic Panic. And if you like what you heard here, and you want to help us keep making these episodes, head over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Radio. Or if you'd just like to do a one-time donation and buy us a beer, head over to buy me a coffee forward slash Gravedigger. All right, guys, we'll tune in next time for another spooky tale.